1: You know, you've been kind of fascinated at the wild success of the work of J.K. Rowling, who, uh, boy, talk about um, just everything that she did um, touching becoming gold, uh, from the wildly popular series of books, Harry Potter, to the films, and of course, uh, products and all of that. it, it become a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar cottage industry for her, and she never works another day or writes another word in her life. She will be set for many lifetimes to come. But what is behind all of this? Is it simply a, a fascination with her writing style, or has she? Struck a chord, t- touched a nerve of baseline interest for so many millions of American children.
2: Dear Mr. Potter, you have been accepted to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and wizardry.
1: Now, while some might consider this to be just fun escapism, is it really? And if we dig down deeper to the entire bigger equation of witchcraft and the occult and things of that sort, we're joined by Christine McGuire. She's the author of a new bestseller called Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life. And Christine, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Craig. It's your your journey is a fascinating one in that, as I understand it, you were raised in a pretty normal, traditional Christian family, went to church, did all of that. And then as you got into your teen years... Uh, this fascination with matters of witchcraft, the occult, seances, and so forth began to began to kind of flourish. T- take us back through all of that experience, it, and what led you to make the transition from Christianity into the occult and ultimately back again.
3: Well, actually, um, you're right. I, I did. I was raised uh, in a Christian home. Um, I actually accepted Christ. As my savior when I was six years old at Vacation Bible School, as, as many are, are want to do, <laughs> and uh, you know I loved God, loved God, but my interest and fascination with things like ghosts and witches and witchcraft actually started at a very young age um, through playing games—not um, necessarily the Ouija board, but levitation games, like for instance ones called uh, "Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board," or um, conjuring games. Called Mary Worth, you know, where you try to conjure a spirit in the mirror by saying its name three times. Um, those kind of interests and in games, I, I, my friends and I, we would pretend to be fortune tellers and read palms and things like that. And and so even as I was learning about God and, and loving God, I was also just drawn and attracted through television programs, books that I read, and games that I played with my friends throughout most of my childhood. Um it was actually not until I was a teenager that I realized well maybe I shouldn't be doing this uh because I, it was the first time I had ever read the Bible on my own um uh, because up until then I, nobody really said anything to me about it I think they just thought it was children's games and harmless and um so I I really tried to put that on the back burner and not pay attention to it anymore and really tried to serve God um and I got married, I had children. But it wasn't until I was actually in my thirties. Um, and my husband and I were going through some difficult times in our marriage and I was really starting to get frustrated and angry with God because I had gone from having a relationship with Christ to having just this very legalistic religion of Christianity and, and it became all about rules and I never seemed to be able to do anything right and I really felt like God was judging me uh because our life wasn't easy and I had been told, Well, if you're following all the rules and God's gonna bless you and everything's great and that wasn't happening. So in um I guess it was nineteen ninety nine, I was just so angry with God that I decided I was gonna start looking elsewhere um for my outlet for, you know, for uh, mysticism and, and occultism. And I had heard about a, uh, a religion called Wicca back in 1995, and uh, in 1999, I decided to jump in feet first, ignore my background, ignore my, my upbringing as a Christian, and uh, explore goddess worship through Wicca.
1: You know, it's fascinating about your story, uh, early on, it begins with a... Quite frankly, in an unbiblical perspective on Christianity, um, Mm -hmm. all of the relationship completely vacuumed out of it it seems like simply work-based. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously if you're not doing a perfect job in your works or there are failures in your life, God is withdrawing his hand of blessing and all of a sudden you're, you're losing all the benefits, et cetera, et cetera, And obviously that's an extremely distorted viewpoint on Christianity, though a popular one that I think has kind of been uh, fed into by the likes of Word of Faith movement, things of this sort. But it begins exactly. then largely with, with some false understanding about what Christianity really is. And it seems to then in your life, Christine, kind of open to the gateway. And some arenas that I think are natural to be curious about. I mean, I have to confess from time to time, if I'm aimlessly pointing the remote control at the television set on a uh, Saturday afternoon, might happen to cross a paranormal program on the pursuit of apparitions or something, and, you know, for a nanosecond or two, you're wondering whether or not the device they're holding will actually find a ghost, or is it just a bunch of, you know, uh, props and hardware? But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I think there's a degree to which that there's a kind of a natural curiosity of the, the quote-unquote unknown. But you kind of st- ultimately stepped over a line here then.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And once I had crossed that line, you know, I started with Wicca uh, and goddess worship and moved then into what's called traditional witchcraft and then into psychic development, eventually into ghost hunting. The more you tip into that curiosity, the more you're pulled in. So it's, so it's kind of like
1: was- a vortex, it draws oh, you in yeah. deeper.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course. All of the beliefs that I had growing up, because I, I actually these, this strange movement into this legalistic religion really didn't happen until I was an adult. Um, I wasn't raised to believe these things about about the Lord. I wasn't raised to believe these things about about Christian faith. And so, uh, you know, as I as I had put myself into this vacuum, this spiritual vacuum, I was just drawing in anything that you know that just seemed to fill that void that I had created by building this this, uh, this legalistic religion.
1: Well, and it's interesting because you refer to that vacuum, and I've been long persuaded that a lot of the machinations through which mankind goes in an effort to try to have some kind of a connection with creator, <coughs> creator, and we see this borne out, for example, in a lot of Hindu religion. I mean, mm-hmm. you travel into India, go through a temple, and see just far how far they are willing to go in an effort to try and connect, quote unquote, with God. I think it's a natural inclination to want to do that. What's unnatural is some of the paths by which we head down in an effort to try and do all of that, sort of to find the um, to find spiritual satisfaction in one's life, and but looking for it in all the wrong places, which is it sounds like ultimately what led you down your eight-year journey into the occult.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And the more I journeyed into that, the more what I believed became kind of twisted up into this very strange theology. I guess you could say it, of, of my own beliefs. I would pick a little bit from here, pick a little bit from there, and yet I still didn't want to give up what I had grown up with, believing about Jesus. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to keep anything that I felt like I didn't like <laughs> hmm. about, about the Christian faith, or about doctrine, or about the Bible. You know, I, I would pick and choose what I liked from the Bible and discard the rest. And we see a lot of that happening in the
1: church today. Oh, absolutely. Um, On on either end of the spectrum, to be sure. If you've just joined our cult influences in everyday life, and as much as we continue to hear her journey, we'll also talk a bit about influences we're seeing in modern day culture. I've already kind of uh, unleashed the uh, gargantuan question of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's writings, and whether or not that's simply good, innocent, distractive fun for children, or is there something more behind all of that, too? tell you what we'll do. Let's take a brief time out here, get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Uh, yes, indeed. And back to the conversation. It's Pristine McGuire is our guest today. We're talking about the influence of a cult and how one can seemingly innocently so be drawn into same? Sometimes through diversion, sometimes through just plain curiosity. I, I, I'm curious. As you headed down this road over the course of almost a decade, do you see parallels of of the way in which a lot of this can be very seductive um, that can get you deeper in? And I and I hate to use a uh, a tiring cliche like, well, it could be a gateway drug like marijuana leads to cocaine use. But I'm curious, are there parallels when people dabble in uh, with things such as uh, dabble with things like uh, Ouija boards or, or really get sucked deep into things like the seemingly on the surface innocent Harry Potter books?
3: Yes, I, I do honestly believe uh, that it can be a gateway uh, into deeper and darker things in someone's life and uh... into their family's lives uh, the thing is when you open a spiritual door even if you are not the one who is directly affected you have opened the door not only to yourself but to those who are in your family who are you know, your children your grandchildren that type of thing um... i, I learned that in my family uh... you know i had a grandparent who was a water witch um, and it was passed down to him as a tradition in the family as a means to search for water on his property using a, you know, a dowsing rod. Um, dowsing turned out to be one of my strengths as uh, as a medium uh, and a ghost hunter and as a witch. Um... And so I think when we indulge in these things, it, it does start out innocently. I mean, you can sit there and you can be watching a program like Ghost Hunters or one of the, oh, I don't even know how many programs there are now dedicated to to the topic of ghosts and ghost hunting right now. But you can watch these quasi-realistic programs and you watch these people who are going into these into these buildings and they have these interesting gadgets and they have these experiences. And it will draw you into the point where you start thinking, hey, maybe I could do something like that. And you go on the Internet, and you find out that there are actually groups in your area who are doing this kind of thing. So you kind of get to know them, and step by step, you're drawn into becoming a ghost hunter. That's what happened to me. Uh, I've talked to numerous people who that's how they've been drawn into it, and I'm talking Christians. You know, these are people who have contacted me and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't see any problem with going to see, you know, a medium. I don't see any problem with with going on a ghost hunt. It's interesting. It's intriguing. And so this is how people are drawn in. And it's all over the Internet. It's on television. We have children's programs now that are are not just Harry Potter, but, uh, you know, introduction into to ghost hunting, all kinds of things. The occult is just permeating our society, and so it, the more you dip your toe into those waters, the more you're going to be dragged in.
1: And, of course, all of this kind of leads deeper into the dark side. I mean, I think, for example, of teenagers that get pulled into the so-called goth lifestyle mm-hmm. and then we look at the wild popularity of, of such things as what had been a machination and kind of uh, an oddity in uh, Central Europe in the 1800s is now you know mainstream major Hollywood production these days with fascination of such things as uh, uh, vampires
3: absolutely and what a lot of people don't understand is is with all these you know uh, young adult novels and television programs and movies and things like that, what it 's doing is teaching young people uh, that the dark side is fascinating that these that these obsessive uh, relationships because it 's not a love relationship it 's a, a lust and an obsession kind of thing going on here that that 's what normal love looks like you know and and it 's just uh, it draws them deeper in and there are actually uh, i don 't know how many people know this, but there are actually Uh, Groups out there who are believing them, young people who believing themselves to be vampires, who are going, you know, going to clubs and and are actually, you know, sharing blood with others, that kind of thing. And uh, it just, all it takes is one step into this, and it just draws people deeper and
1: deeper in. I think what's what's uh, the issue that a lot of folks struggle with on this topic is we see some of it that we understand is clearly ridiculous and over the top. Some of it that I think folks find a little bit Harmless, I mean, what harm can there be in a Ouija board Is somebody in some, you know, spirit really moving the hands across the board to spell things out? You mentioned about divining, and, and I, I have the image of somebody on an open piece of property in a field with a twig walking around and watching the, the twig move to locate where water is. And I think to myself, you know, on the surface, uh, that just appears to be an old parlor trick.
3: Mm-hmm. It does, and I think in many instances, these things, uh, you know, they, they're they not going to work necessarily, but um, there will always be that time that it does. You know, nine times out of ten, you're going to have a Ouija board, nothing's going to happen, but there's going to be that tenth time because there is a spiritual realm, and there these things are connected to it, and if you are open to it, you want it to happen, and you pursue it enough, if you knock on that door long enough you will get a response.
1: In your opinion, as you wandered deeper into all of this, kind of seeking to fulfill that God-shaped vacuum, thats that spiritual hunger in your life that we referred to earlier, okay. Christine, did you find it heading in that direction for you too? I, I, where where I this this, this went from that. just a fascination into mm-hmm. being pulled into this vortex, oh. the real deal.
3: Oh yes, absolutely. Um, I, when I sought to connect with Goddess, I connected with Goddess immediately because I had had this. I felt like I was in this vacuum where I had no connection to God, and so suddenly I started looking elsewhere. And of course, I got immediate response, mm. and it was intense, and it just drew me deeper and deeper in. Because why would I continue pursuing it if
1: nothing happened? And of course, the false dichotomy here that Satan sets up. Uh, a false image, a false hope, a false truism in Absolutely. order to w- distract people away from the real, the true, the genuine.
3: And this idea that the power and the knowledge and all, all of the secrets that I had ever wanted to know could be found within me.
1: Well, isn't that very That's attractive, too, to the fallen well. nature? I mean, who, who wouldn't want to? In Absolutely. their debased sin nature, want to be endowed with the ability to be all knowing, all seeing, all understanding, all wise. I mean, you know, didn't 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 we see Lucifer begin this very issue uh, when when he disobeyed God over the same level, over the same issues, Absolutely. rather?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I I'm, I look at as at it as um, you know the enemy. He knows what works, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he knows. That honey is going to attract a lot more than something, you know, disgusting. So, uh, when you are drawn to this kind of thing, it's a lot of people have asked me, you know, wasn't it scary to be involved in these things? You know, wasn't it dark and frightening? No, it wasn't. It was attractive and it was appealing and it was it drew me in deeper and it was thrilling rather than frightening. Mm. And so, uh, so it was a very attractive thing to be drawn into. And I think that's what most people experience. Um, it's not until you are so deep in that you realize that <laughs> what, it, what you're actually experiencing is harassment uh, or, you know, you're actually, you're afraid of what's going on around you.
1: And we know like, certainly at the, read, we know. at the periphery, we know certainly at the periphery, at the extremes, I mean, there's things like uh, Santeria where real human sacrifice takes place. There were some uh, infamously celebrated cases that happened along the U.S. Mexico border back in the 1980s that related to all of that. It, it, Satan rarely begins with the end story, does he? I mean, it's going okay. to be something that's curious, powerful, attractive, uh, charming, In you know, dramatic. Mm-hmm draws one's attention in uh, before it slowly takes you down this deep road.
3: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, as I was saying, I didn't even realize. I was so deep into it and so thought it was normal that I was experiencing spiritual harassment on a daily basis and just chalked it up to being, well, This is I'm a ghost hunter now. I'm a medium now. This is to be expected. And I didn't realize how much stress and fear I was experiencing until God put a stop to it.
1: If you've just joined our conversation, Christine McGuire is with us today. We're talking about her experiences, uh, having gone from a normal childhood, reared in a traditional Christian family, eventually drawn into the cult and the occult, and then coming out on the other side. The book is called Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life. Okay, now it's your turn. 888-367-5329, 888 the telephone number, that's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. You've got concerns, you've got comments, you've got questions. Christine is the real deal. It is rare to be so well done for a medium. God, I've been waiting to use that line all day. <laughs> but she is the real deal, and I want to encourage you, as we, as we wrestle through some questions that I know some of you are thinking, Roberts, you're crazy. Did I just hear you suggest... That something as whimsical and innocent a diversion for children as Harry Potter could have a dark side? Yeah, I think I did kind of suggest that. Let's take a brief time out here. We'll get you updated on some traffic. Then we'll come back to more of the conversation. The occult, the occult. How do Christians get drawn into things like this? Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Christine McGuire, she is a former witch, medium, and a ghost hunter, and the author of a new book called Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life in San Francisco. Hey, Sammy, come on in with your comment or question for Christine McGuire.
2: Thank you. Ms. McGuire, once I became a Christian, you know, um, I always liked to holler pictures. But once I became a Christian, my my attitude was thinking that I love to see good overcome evil. I was fascinated with the, the, the throughout God. When God came into my life, He just changed me from dark I, by His grace and mercy he took me from the dark into His marvelous light. Now it seems harmless, Craig Roberts. You said you know a lot of people look at it like me, maybe look at things that might, you might I might think that it's harmless, but
1: reality is not, huh? Oh, I, I would I would thoroughly agree with you, which, which raises the big question concerning Harry Potter. I know that uh, during the time when the first book started to really rise in popularity, Christine, there was this tremendous backlash by some of us that said, well, now wait a minute. Do we really want our children to learn how to become witches and warlocks and and, and goblins and go to the Hogwarts school? Uh, what, what of that issue?
3: Well, um, a lot of people do ask me about the Harry Potter issue, and I think what what is the crux of the problem? There is: Do you read the book with your child and explain the nature of good and evil? Which you know, what is witchcraft and what is fantasy? What is you know, what is true occultism uh, versus fantasy? That type of thing. Um, there was a huge backlash, um, and honestly, I think that did more to propel the books. And uh, forward, and to bring them into the limelight and get everybody interested, than than it did to you know to mm. sway people. Um, I, I think what it comes down to is, what do you how do you want to introduce these topics to your child?
2: Amen. Um, okay, I, okay.
3: I think people okay. need to know.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um the grace of God, you know, I I'm a minister, and, my, and I, I thank God that my child. We go, we go to church every Sunday. She gets upset when I get sick and can't go. <laughs> but, um, like I'm saying, I got to take the attitude that it's not uh, harmless. You know, and, uh, we don't really know how far deep it can go if one, you know, if one is not truly trained or taught, you know, the word of God. You well, know? So and, and, I mean, to be guarded by influential things that, you know, it easily suck us in.
1: Well, and what you even even as you are explaining some of this um I'll take it to, to another extreme here, uh, Sammy. Uh, children, nevertheless, are being attracted to, drawn in by uh, the imagery and the sorcery, and they have very young, immature minds that oftentimes have a difficult time differentiating between what is fact and what is fiction, what is reality and what is not. And I think sometimes as adults, we are too eager to dismiss or write off something as, well, it's simply quote-unquote harmless fun, not realizing that there are things about this that's attractive to to the spiritual side of a child, that it's not yet that well Developed and oftentimes does not yet have the kind of discernment necessary to tell whether or not this particular arena that's, that's creating some fascination and the child begins to explore things deeper, maybe later on in life at their teen years, Christine, as you suggested, that could lead them down a very dark road. I mean, you know, anybody that's been, ever been irrevocably lost uh, on a back roads trip knows that it be, typically began with one innocent wrong turn, and all of a sudden you find yourself miles off the main highway no cell phone service wondering whether or not you're ever going to get back into uh, you know back back into civilization am i right
3: absolutely and that's why i think it's imperative that parents especially with things like harry potter and some of these other things that are out there because there's a plethora of of information out there for children uh... in about the occult um, they need to discuss these things with their children and let them know what the bible says about it and explain to them why they wouldn't want them to be engaging in these activities and why it's spiritually harmful if all we do is say no you can't have that book or no you can't watch this television without giving them the spiritual biblical reason behind it all they're going to hear is well, maybe there's something i need to check out on my own about that you know i mean because the more you deny something to someone, the more they're going to tend
1: to want it. Understandably so. All right, Sammy. Hope that answers your question. Appreciate your call. We're going to move on next to a Carmen in San Jose. Carmen, come on in with your comment or question for for Christine McGuire. Welcome.
3: Hi, pleasure, Lord. Um, you're bringing up Harry Potter and um, the books, uh, but one I noticed was is Disney, well, Disney's um, cartoons for the children. There I see also um, things that he's sort of slipped in, and they make it so innocent, like you were, you were saying. For um, little kids to repeat things, like um, the cartoon Cinderella, we learn the name of Lucifer right off the bat in that.
1: Oh, well, there's a cartoon that goes back to the 1930s, wasn't it? The Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, that uh, Mickey Mouse uh, was the featured character in. I mean, there, there are certainly ways in which even the so-called good and wholesome companies kind of slip this stuff in. And I, and I guess maybe at this juncture, there should be a word of balance here. This isn't okay. to suggest that every child, Christine necessarily, is going to head off in this direction uh, all the time. But as you are suggesting from your own life experience, um, when there is education without direction or uh, exposure without direction, uh, it can potentially head into. A different direction later on, as a child begins on their own when they get into their teen years and beyond, exploring these issues uh, without any kind of um, spiritual guidelines.
3: Absolutely, and I and I'm not you know I'm not a a person who advocates you know no fantasy books for children, no you know that kind of thing. I I advocate people parents educating their children, reading alongside them, and and explaining what is true, what is fictional, what is uh, spiritual, what is imagination, that type of thing. And there there are people who are going to be drawn to these things. I was a person who was always going to be drawn to this. Um... I, it, perhaps if I'd had someone to talk to me about these things when I was a child, maybe I would not have veered off in that direction. But I think the majority of children who watch a Disney film or even read Harry Potter, the majority of them are not going to be drawn into the occult in the way that I was or in the way that other people are today. But there is, there are those people, those children who it will become a, a seed, a planted in them as a child. And that's why it's so important for parents to be involved with their kids and what they're reading and what they're watching and be willing to talk to them about it from look, a
1: biblical perspective when we come back i want you to share with us if you would just how deep you went and then ultimately how you got yourself out christine mcguire our guest to look at escaping the cauldron exposing occult influences in everyday life get you an update on traffic michael bennett in the kfax traffic center michael
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig
1: Roberts. Back to our conversation tonight, Christine McGuire, my guest. A look at escaping the cauldron, exposing occult influences in everyday life. Tell us, as you headed down this road, Christine, just how deep did you eventually get?
3: Oh, I was. It was my life. Um, you know, I completely immersed myself. In uh, witchcraft, in in being a medium, and eventually a ghost hunter, everything was viewed through this lens. Um, I even got to a point for you know the last couple of years where I called myself a Christian witch uh, because I didn't want to give up my Jesus from you know childhood. So I created my own trinity of Holy Father, Mother, and Son. But the the Son, Jesus, was an example of how we could interact with God. And and you know I had five spirit guides that I. Went to and God was really just kind of out there approving of everything that I did, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it was it was totally my life, and I was completely comfortable and happy. I thought this was the answer I had been looking for. Um, but you know, the way God is, He, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit just never gives up on those who He is calling to Himself, drawing back to Himself. And and uh, so one day He just whacked me upside the head with the truth. And uh, I had to make a decision, and ultimately I made the right decision of renouncing everything I had done as a witch, a medium, a ghost hunter, everything I was involved in and rededicated my life to Christ and have not looked back. since.
1: How did your friends in all of that, uh, I mean, clearly there must have been friends and associates that you had involved in in Wicca. How did they respond when suddenly you weren't showing up at the... Whatever you have, weekly meetings, I don't know quite what they are. How do they respond? Well, I
3: was, yeah, I was never involved in a coven. I was okay. a, a, what's called a solitary witch. But I did have uh, friends who were witches and Wiccans. I did have friends who uh, you know, were ghost hunters. I had a ghost hunting team that I worked with and mediums who were friends. Most of them were, were very loving and, and were like, we're glad for you. You found your way. Just don't try to, you know, foist your beliefs on us kind of thing, you know. And, uh, you know, so we had this mutual you know, parting of the ways essentially. We're still, you know, friends. I I'm still, you know, keep in contact with them through things like Facebook, but um, you know, they they most of them were very understanding. There were a few people who were just like, What are you crazy? <laughs> uh, kind of thing. But uh but most of them were really very live and let live.
1: And for Christians, when you tell them your story, what's the typical reaction? I mean, there's a level at which I'm sure there's a shared fascination, to be sure. Do you also find a great degree of people that kind of look at you with a jaundiced eye when you refer to yourself as having been a medium?
3: Yes. I do. There there are some of those who just are like, That's crazy. Especially when I tell them I consider myself a Christian witch, they're like, you know, that's impossible and I'm like, You're right, that is impossible, but it didn't stop me from doing it and it doesn't stop all the other people who are still at this you know, at this time, uh calling themselves Christian witches and believing themselves uh, to be Christian while they're practicing magic or being mediums or ghost hunters or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've come across some skepticism. I've, I've come across some people who are just, uh, you know, they've told me that they themselves have experienced this kind of fascination, and, and we're just, uh, they tried to talk to Christians they knew and were completely ignored or rebuffed or uh, just honestly shunned. And uh, we're just so grateful that there was someone they could talk to um, who would be willing to listen to them and pray for them and, and say, no, there is a way out of this. And I think that's the thing that uh, has, has me the most passionate about sharing this, this testimony is that the Church for so long, when it comes to the occult, uh, has just kind of either ignored it or, or just poo pooed it and thought, oh, that's just silliness.
1: Or burned or, them at the stake.
3: Or burned them at the stake. And there's still some of that going on today, metaphorically speaking. And uh, it's time for the Church to wake up, smell the coffee, and realize this is a true, honest, spiritual problem, that people there are out there who are gasping for help and are being ignored because people don't believe their story. I guess
1: the irony is that this is a true falsehood, and on the surface, while that appears to be uh, you know uh, a self-canceling uh, observation, um, it is a false teaching. It is designed to distract you from worshiping with the true God pardon me, having a relationship with the true God, falling in love with Christ, learning more of Him, His ways, His Word—it is designed to be a, a, a distraction. And in that, in that sense, that it accomplishes that goal or that mission, this is this is truly a very risky road down which to head.
3: It is. It absolutely is. And I cannot tell you how important it is that people are willing to recognize the truth of this and do something about it. Because one of the things that people contact me about is or that people find my website on is they're looking for information about Christian witchcraft, Christian ghost you know, Christian ghost hunting groups, that kind of thing. They want to be involved in these things because it's interesting, it's mysterious and it's all over our society right now. It's in our books, our movies, on our T V sets. They want in on it, but they don't know what the Bible says about it, and very few people are willing to talk to them about the truth that God does not want us to go down that road.
1: And again, it it comes down to the fact that it becomes singularly a distraction from the truth, and along with that can spiral into some very ugly things. I mean, you, you, you suggest of kind of being on the... Uh, the saner side of all of this, uh, my word, not yours. But at the end of the day, as we've suggested, uh, there is a slippery slope that oh, yes. is uh, that is inherent to much of this. And suddenly, you know, it suddenly goes from a fascination with the paranormal and pursuit of, uh, uh, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, whatever the case might be, and then you get deeper and deeper and deeper in, and before you know it, you get sucked into this vortex that can lead to more dangerous things.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that people need to understand that truth and just not even go there, you know, just just.
1: Turn the other way. So, Is it helpful, too, to keep in mind here, Christine, that we serve a jealous God, that he's not going to have multiple gods or other gods before him? I mean, I think the ways in which people get involved in, for example, the Earth movement today has a subset that gets into, uh, you know, paganism and, and certainly you know, uh, Gaia and, and, and uh, worship of the Earth and things of this sort. All of that, again, setting itself up uh, in, in in contrast against the knowledge of the one true God.
3: Absolutely. God wants us to worship Him and Him alone, and our devotion is to Him and Him alone, not these other things. We are meant to worship the Creator, not the creation. And uh, I I think that is where uh, part of the danger lies, and people need to know who God is and understand that He has called them, He's reaching out to them, but He is not going to abide with us uh, going into these other directions. He will eventually let us go if we continue to seek something other than
1: him. And, and you know, light and dark cannot dwell together. Exactly. So the notion exactly. of trying to straddle the fence, as you suggest, and be a Christian witch.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, the the verses that really finally struck home with me when I did finally uh, go to the Bible and say, OK, Lord, show me what I need to know. It was from Matthew six twenty two twenty three. 23. And the verses say, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And that is what had me on the floor, repenting, weeping, and renouncing everything I had been involved in. Because light and dark do not dwell in the same place, and God is Light.
1: When you're interviewed during Halloween, what do you tell people? When people call up and say, Well, now, wait a minute, uh, Christine, this is just, you know, the ghosts and the goblins. It's just clean fun for the kids. It's one night a year. What possible harm could come from it? What do you say?
3: Well, um, what I tell them is, you know, if they're Christians and they want to reach out to their neighbors, that's awesome. But what they also have to realize is that it is a powerful night, that there are witches and and occultists and ghost hunters and people out there who are seeking uh, to to connect the spirit realm, because traditionally it is believed that is one of the most powerful nights uh, for spirit communication. So
1: while you may not Um, be taking it seriously, somebody is.
3: Exactly, okay. exactly. And so, uh, you know, if you want to reach out, be a light to your community, that's awesome. But make sure people know that's what you're doing, that you're not just parodying what you're seeing going on around you.
1: Well, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's kind of akin to saying, well, look, this game of Russian roulette, we only use one bullet. What harm could come of it? We've got, you know, five chances out of six it won't be anything harmless, right? Till the one time the chamber clicks over to the live round. And then the story changes. Christine McGuire, we're pleased to hear that your story changed from a venture from Light into Darkness and Back into the Light Again, a fascinating page-turning book, one I think that will be worthwhile for every parent out there and just anybody who generally wants to understand uh, the danger of the dark side. A look at Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life. It's author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Christine McGuire. And the book, of course, is published by Charisma House and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency,
0: knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military.
1: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its
0: funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.